Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joshua Thanos, and today will be a solo podcast on the topic of buying watches for beginners. So today's beginner's guide to buying watches will be an overview for those who are just getting into buying watches. Essentially, I thought to myself, what are things that I would have wanted to know when I started buying watches initially or started collecting watches? What kind of advice and where to buy um, all these things I will cover in the next uh, 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, but first, I'll start with our customary wrist check. And on the wrist today, I have one of the first watches that I've ever purchased, and that is the Breitling Aerospace Evo. Uh, the reference is E79362. I have the white dial variant. The watch came with a titanium bracelet, which I quickly took off and hid away somewhere, and I haven't seen that for years. I need to track it down because I'd like to try to put it back on the bracelet because I know it is very comfortable. Um, I have the watch on a NATO strap now made by a friend of mine who has a very cool company and a brand called Kill Hubris. I believe you can check them out on killhubris.com. Let me check that. Let me make sure I have the right. Kill Hubris. Yeah, killhubris.com. Cool brand, awesome designs, great uh, idea behind the company. And they have this, um, it's a camo style uh NATO strap that's very comfortable. Uh, the watch itself is phenomenal. It is uh, the most complicated watch I own by far. It has a its time, date, uh, it's a perpetual calendar. It has a GMT, a chronograph, and a minute repeater all packed in. It's the Breitling Super Quartz, so you change the battery, I think, every five years or so. I think I just changed the battery on this watch. Um, Besides that, it's fantastic. It's a uh, it's forty two millimeters, but it's extremely thin, so it can really fit anyone's wrist. In my opinion, you can take it swimming. I've done that. It used to be my quote unquote fishing watch or beach watch, but now that I have so many watches, um, there's a rotation even uh, doing those activities. But uh, a great watch to start with. I bought it. I want to say I spent a thousand dollars for this watch seven eight years ago. Now it's worth probably two or three thousand. So you know, retained value. Um, and definitely one I would I would recommend. Again, I have the white dial, which at times when I've looked it up uh, in terms of market value, seem to be more valuable than the black dial. But uh, I think there's probably like a cycle with these things as as more of them hit the the market, they get more valuable, and then less when there's or uh, or when more of them hit the market, they get less valuable. Obviously, supply and demand. But um, but yeah, great watch. Definitely recommend it. Forty two millimeters, but extremely thin. I want to say it's probably about ten. 10 millimeters thick. So uh, really comfortable on the wrist and uh, a great everyday wear watch and a great beginner's watch. So so let's get right into it. Um, so I want to start off with the biggest chunk of information. And then what we're going to start off with is what watches do you, should you buy, right? As a beginner, if you've never purchased a watch before and uh, you know, the mindset that I had in, in putting together this guide or this show was, you know, if I don't have any um, buddy to talk to, if I don't have a good watch friend who can guide me, you know, what is what would I want to know going into it so that I don't make big mistakes? And, and for myself, um, you know, I've been a watch trader in the industry for uh, almost a decade, and I've dealt with many, many guys who have given me first-time horror stories of the watches that they purchased uh, or guys, you know, looking to, to make that first purchase. And and, um, you know, this is to help avoid making a big uh, mistake and to start off your watch collecting kind of on the right foot. So um, what are brands to buy? Right. Let's start with that. Right. Um, so right now, I'd say and really traditionally uh, in the last, I guess, 20 years, sport watches have been kind of have become the standard. Right. Every every brand essentially makes a sport watch even now Longa makes a sport watch. Um, and that's because, you know, our daily life is going to be more conducive to wearing sport watches and uh, they are a little bit more fun and and easy to collect, right? And they're much more tradable too. So they're, so when you look at, you know, some sort of crazy skeletonized tourbillon, 
it might be hard to understand what's going on in that watch or why that's valuable um, or wearable to somebody who's never purchased the watch before. But, you know, you look at a Rolex Mariner or, or a Omega Speedmaster or Seamaster and the watch just, you look at it, it just makes sense. So I'll start off. Um, first, I want to say that um, I put the price range up to $20,000 for your first watch because I know many people obviously are not going to be spending $20,000 on their first watch. They might not ever spend $20,000 on a watch. But in order to include Rolex in this um, buyer's guide, I had to go up to that price point. Um, but everything else is going to be 10 and below, which is kind of the, which is more entry level for, for most guys, especially nowadays. Um, but let's start with the, with the elephant in the room or the gorilla in the room, and that's Rolex. So um, essentially everything from Rolex, I guess, in my opinion, um, besides the Cellini models are going to be sport watches, even the date, just, and it really, even the date eights, because you're going to have a screw down crown and water resistance. Um, those are going to be sport watches, I guess, in my mind are functionally sport watches, watches that can be worn basically in every setting. Um, but what I'm, I'm starting off with some watches that I, that I think are good beginners watches for guys who want to get into Rolex, but don't want to spend 30, 40, $50,000. So, uh, the first one I would say and, and recommend would be the milk house, um, starting to creep up over that $10,000 mark, uh, for the, for the pre-owns and, you know, market price for that watch. The retail is, is 8150. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a watch that's going to be well over retail, even if you buy like a new gray market model, <clears throat> Milgauss, but it's, it's a great everyday wear watch. It's more of a tweener, uh, in terms of the, the styling of that watch, but it certainly can be worn literally in every setting. It's got a screw down crown, 40 millimeters, full bracelet. And, um, you know, the aesthetic of that watch having the smooth bezel is going to give it a little dressy look to it, but you can certainly wear it to the beach. Um, knowing that you are certainly going to scratch it up. Um, I guess next to that would be an Air King, kind of in the same boat where it's it's an underappreciated model as in the relative to the rest of the um, Rolex models. Uh, so the Milgauss and GMT, sorry, the Milgauss and the Air King are going to be the first two that I would look at. Besides that, obviously any date just is going to be good, especially on a Jubilee, which uh, a lot of people disagree, but I think the Jubilee is very versatile because you can wear it in every setting where you're going to be uh, in more of a casual setting, but it certainly dresses the watch up. So uh, a date just, and those are watches that you can find probably around their retail. So going to be in that eight to $12,000 mark, depending on the uh, type of metal you're, you're getting into. Um, Submariner is a, is a great mainstay, uh, almost impossible to get through retail as a new buyer. So now you're looking at market price for that watch, which is going to be $13,000, $14,000 for a new style 41 millimeter sub, but you can also look for the 40 millimeter subs, the previous versions that were made for about 10 years. And um, those ones are going to be slightly less. And then even looking back before that, so a uh, pre-ceramic Submariner, which is going to wear much smaller on the wrist as well. It's not going to be quite as bulky. It's going to have a lot of great technology in that watch. It certainly is going to be an everyday wear watch and you can find those for uh, even below $10,000 as, um, as an entry level watch. Uh, GMTs right now um, are all going to be above ten thousand, uh, basically across the board. Uh, you're going to be looking at ten to twenty thousand dollars for a GMT of any iteration. So they have uh, a white, uh, sorry, a uh, the all black bezel, which was the original GMT. They have what they call a Pepsi, which means that the bezel on that watch is going to be red and blue, and they have the Coke model, which is going to be uh, black and red. And the third version of that watch would be the root beer, which is going to be the, the newest two-tone iteration. They also have vintage root beers as well that you can look for. Um, GNT's is, is also a good watch if you're going to be in that price range. So the above $10,000 price range. Um, another model that I would look at that's going to be not quite as hyped up would be the Yachtmaster. That was my first Rolex was the, the reference number 16622. Uh, platinum bezel, stainless steel, yacht master, platinum dial, beautiful watch. Um, the idea of that watch when it was created was to make a more of an upscale Submariner, or I guess what they call it a luxury Submariner, but essentially all these watches are luxury. Um, great watch. You can wear it in every setting. Feels great on the, on the wrist. It's going to be a little bit different. So if you don't want a watch that everybody has, but you still want to have a Rolex, um, yacht master is a great place to look. Those watches have started to, to gain a little bit of value, it's an all boats rise market right now. Whereas, you know, the the, the Daytonas, which are going to be 
you know, well above $30,000 right now, um, those ones are going to carry up everything else. So, you know, uh, whereas these yacht masters, I mean, I think I paid four or $5,000 for my first yacht master. You're going to be paying eight to $12,000 for a yacht master now, right now. But again, you're getting, you know, Rolex quality build and whatnot. And then if you're a bigger guy, I would say, look at the sea dwellers. That's the last model that I would look at. Um, they have the sea dweller 4k, a 40 millimeter sea dweller. They have the pre ceramic and the ceramic versions. When I say that I'm talking about the bezel. So all the current, um, watches with diver bezels are going to have ceramic inserts Previous to that, they had aluminum inserts that would scratch. Ceramic doesn't scratch. It's a little bit more robust, but ceramic will crack if you hit it, but you have to hit it extremely hard. It's essentially as, as tough as your crystal. Um, so if you if you hit the hit the watch hard enough to crack the crystal, you can hit it hard enough to hit the, the crack the bezel. The bezel on a ceramic watch is, or a ceramic bezel is going to be much more expensive to um, swap out than a, an aluminum bezel, but it's going to have you know, a nicer look to it. It's going to look a little bit more rich and um, it's going to be more robust if you're looking for ceramic. So a pre-ceramic uh, 40 millimeter sea dweller is going to be a, basically a thick Submariner with no Cyclops uh, magnifying date um, on the, on the crystal, the uh, 40 millimeter um, sea dweller 4k that has uh, the ceramic bezel is going to be essentially the same thing. So no, um, no Cyclops on the, on the crystal, which is going to be that little bubble that's going to magnify the date when you're looking at the, looking at the watch. Um, a lot of people like that watch, but at the time, the demand for Rolex across the board wasn't so high that everything was crazy. And basically people would we make look, they would look at that 40 millimeter sea dweller and the Submariner and say, well, these are the same watch. Just one has the, uh, One's a little bit thicker and one's more expensive, which was the Sea Dweller. So that watch got discontinued after only a few years. Um, so the prices have been trending upwards on that watch, but it still is well below the $20,000 mark. There's also a 43 millimeter Sea Dweller, which is basically my favorite iteration of the watch. Um, that was released a few years ago. Uh, you can still find those watches. They're above retail, but not so far above that. Um, you know, it's not going to be above $20,000. And then you have, lastly, the 44 millimeter sea dweller, which I only recommend for a bigger guy, a guy who likes a big watch that you can feel on the wrist. I'm not that guy. I can't handle a 44 millimeter sea dweller. Um, but because of its size, it's kept the price and demand a little bit lower. So you can find those at or around retail and sometimes a little bit below for, say, like a no box, no papers version of the watch um, and the first version of that watch. So, so Rolex is, again, the first place everyone starts. Um, it's a good place to start, you know, do your research, um, and, uh, and look at these models when we're talking about watches under 20,000. So the rest of the watches in this class, and I guess the, the quote unquote sport class that I would recommend are going to be well under 10,000 for the most part. Um, and the next brand I'll go with will be, let's go with Omega. So Omega is a, is a fantastic brand. It's been around for a long time. Um, you know, they at one point were probably neck and neck with, with Rolex in terms of demand and uh, brand recognition, um, especially within the watch world. Uh, there's so many models that they've made. And what I would recommend, especially for beginners, is to look at two different brand lines. That would be the Seamaster and the Speedmaster. So just like what it sounds like, right? So a Seamaster is going to be a dive watch. There's many different iterations of this watch, ton of different sizes you can look at. You can look at older Seamasters, um, uh, like the Bond era Seamasters that are going to have that same aluminum inserts, essentially going to have all the technology and the same build quality as a Rolex, and in some cases a little bit higher, but far lower price point because the demand is going to be far less. Um, you know, even though I guess Omega, I'd have to look at production numbers, but in my mind, I'd say Omega makes more watches than Rolex. They probably do, but if, if, but not many more. Just the demand at Rolex marketing machine has really driven things to uh, to a fevered pace in terms of the demand. Um, though Rolex build quality is is absolutely top notch. Right? Like they don't they don't release any products that that don't make sense. Whereas Omega takes definitely more chances. You can get a Seamaster in a, a bunch of different materials. You can get it. Uh, in stainless steel, you can have that watch with a ceramic bezel. You can have it in stainless steel with an aluminum bezel. You can have it a ceramic version of that watch. 
You can have a, a tantalum version of that watch. You can have two-tone, uh, many different colors too. So you're going to have a, a bunch of different color combinations of blue dials, black dials, uh, white dials with black bezels, um, you know, uh, different uh, special editions that have insignias for different brands. There's a million types of Seamasters out there uh, from 36 millimeters all the way up to 42 uh, millimeters. And then if you get into the Planet Ocean versions of the Seamasters, even to 44 and 46 millimeters. So there's really something to, for everyone's um, to kind of uh, satiate your appetite for a dive watch across the board in, in the Seamaster line. And it's a great place to start with a stainless Seamaster. I would say nowadays it's getting easier to buy them through 80s. And, and when I say that, I mean, you're not going to be taking such a massive hit if and when it's time to trade that watch. And that's another thing, guys, um, I want to preface this is that the brands I picked um, are going to be brands that you can buy watches either through an authorized dealer at the retail price or uh, through a, uh, a reseller at market price and not get your head taken off when it's time to trade. I think that's a big thing that people don't really take, in, take into account when they're buying watches for the first time is that um, you know buying a watch that you love is great. But if you're getting into a market or if you're getting into watches and you, and you think of yourself possibly being a collector in the future, you got to buy a watch that's going to essentially be liquid when it's time to possibly trade. So you don't know what you love until you buy it, right? You got to buy it and wear it and then you'll figure out what you really love. So um, to mitigate that is, you know, buying a watch that's going to be liquid enough where you're not going to be losing, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent of what you spent in order to get out of that watch when it's time to move out. Um, so that's one thing, you know, there are many brands that I'm not going to include here that are certainly in this price range and below, but they're not going to be as tradable. So I don't recommend starting with those watches. I'm, I, I tend to be more conservative when it comes to that stuff, even though I do like esoteric watches, I'm more of an intermediate collector. I would consider myself. So that's where I would reserve. I would reserve the more advanced collect, uh, collectors to go, towards more esoteric watches that are tougher to trade in the future. So back to Omega. Um, the Omega Seamaster, you know, currently they make the uh, 41 millimeter, um, uh, the Seamaster 300, and that's the new wave dial. So if you're looking at those watches now, you can buy them through an authorized dealer, you can buy them uh, gray market, or you can buy them pre-owned. And I'll go over the differences between all of those towards the end of this segment here, but, uh, or towards the end of the show. But you can buy them kind of any which way. They're they're very um, they're very liquid, easy to trade out. Great watches. And what's cool about that watch is, if say if you buy the blue one and you say, you know, I love the watch the way the, the watch fits, but I don't love the blue. Trade it for a black one. It's not going to cost you a lot of money, right? So you can you can trade within the Seamaster family a bunch of different watches. You can have a bunch of different Seamasters eventually too, and they're all going to be slightly different, but they're going to be easy to move in and out of because there's. There's essentially a buyer for a Seamaster every single day, highly liquid. Um, also, Speedmaster for that same case. So the Seamaster is going to be more robust. Obviously, by the name, you can imagine you can wear it in the water. The Speedmaster is probably a little bit more iconic. It, it depends on how you look at it, but it's it's going to be equally as iconic. Um, you know, it's the moon watch. It was uh, it's touted as the watch that was worn on the moon, Apollo 13, whatnot. Um, a, the aviator's watch, it's not a water resistant watch. You can wash your hands with that watch. You're certainly not going to go in a pool, even though I have seen maniacs do that. Um, I don't recommend it. Um, it's going to be less robust, but it's going to be a little bit of a sportier watch. It's going to have a chronograph. Um, the 42 traditional models are going to have uh, a manual wind movement. So if you're a guy who likes to wind your watch, if you feel like, um, you know, you like to have that type of connection with your watch, which is at one point, that was my preference is that I only really liked manual wine watches because I liked the fact that in order for this watch to run and keep time, I would have to put effort into it essentially every day or every two or three days. Um, whereas the Seamasters for the most part are really every Seamaster. I'm trying to think, I, I don't think I can recall any Seamasters that are manual wine. Maybe there's some special editions. Um, but Seamaster is a watch that if you wear it every day, you're really not going to have to wind it maybe for, but for once a month or so, just to make sure it's keeping time correctly. Um, but the Speedmaster, the 42 millimeter, the traditional moon watch is a, is a manual wine watch. Um, and it's going to wear a little bit 
It's going to be a little bit less, less robust, but it's going to be a great watch. It's going to have a lot of provenance, a lot of history that goes along with that watch. They do make uh, the smaller versions of the watch as well, 38 millimeter automatics. So if you do want an automatic uh, Speedmaster, you can go that route. It's going to be a little smaller on the wrist. On the bracelet, it wears closer to, say, like a 40, but it, there's definitely a sizable difference between the 40, the sorry, the um, the 38, the 40, and the and the 42 millimeter Speedmasters. They also make um, the 44 millimeter, uh, like the dark side cases, which are automatics as well. And, uh, they make them in stainless steel. They add complications to those watches as well. So when you're, if you want a fully ceramic, um, Omega chronograph, they call it a Speedmaster, but it's really just an Omega chronograph in my mind. The Speedmaster is going to be the traditional 42, uh, the moon watch and the iterations of that watch. Um, but, and, um, uh, other Omega chronographs, that are going to be you know, made out of all sorts of different color combinations, stainless steel. They have two-tone blue dials. They have full black ceramic, full gray ceramic, full white ceramic, full blue ceramic with moon phase, Aventine dials, all sorts of crazy stuff. So you can go wild and crazy within Omega for under uh, – when you start getting into the ceramic pieces, m maybe a little over ten, but for the most part under $10,000. And you're, at that point, you're getting, say, if you compare it to, say, what we just talked about before, which was uh, which is Rolex, for the same money or less, now you're getting something that's tremendous, right? A full ceramic uh, chronograph with a moon phase for half the price of what you're going to be paying for the market price on like a GMT Pepsi. Um, great way to go. Market price is definitely the way to go for these watches. The traditional Speedmasters are pretty safe if you're buying them brand new at retail, but some of these other more esoteric models um, a little bit more, you know, outside the mainstream, you definitely want to go market price because they're going to be below the, um, the, the retail. And that's another note, guys. Um, it seems obvious to me, but one way to check the demand on a watch is to look to see how much it goes for on the reseller's market. So if a watch is being, if, if, if there are 300 listings for a watch and they're all over the original retail price for uh for a watch for the uh you know original retail price chances are that watch has tremendous demand to retail so it's going to be very tough to buy those new at retail price but the flip side is if there are 300 listings for say a speedmaster uh you know dark side of the moon and they're all three four five thousand dollars below the retail price well, then that means that you can probably get a discount through retail and or it might even still be better to go pre-own that uh, to pick up that watch, especially in ceramic, because you really can't. There's no refinishing or anything. It's either if it's damaged, it's completely damaged and it's basically going to cost more than the watch is worth to to fix the watch or it's going to be in like new condition. Um, but that's that's a way to judge the demand and to know whether or not you should be getting a discount or whether you can even get it through an ADs, so just go look at the market price of the watch. Um, and then just compare that to the retail MSRP. All right. So Omega, I recommend Seamaster and Speedmaster. Next, I would say, um, well, there's a lot of different brands I would go with, but if we're talking about beginners, then we're talking about guys who are not deep in the watch game, right? Guys who are not, who haven't be, been able to become a snob yet and whatnot. So, what I would say is look at Breitling. Uh, Breitling has been a brand for a long time. They've had their ups. They've had their downs in the mid-2000s um, prior to like the, the housing market crash. Sorry about that. Uh, prior to the housing market crash, um, you know, Breitling kind of had its heyday. They were making large uh, chronograph watches that were absolutely competing with Rolex. Nowadays, that's not the case. Um, the brand has changed ownership. Um, and, uh, but they, they are making some steps forward in terms of making more relevant watches now, um, that I would recommend. So Breitling is definitely a way to go. I would say for most of their SKUs, you want to go pre-owned or gray market because the, they do trade at well below their retail price. There are a few models that are strong. Like it, I just delivered a, uh, I guess it was a super ocean special edition green watch I, i'm the the version name is is escaping me now but it, it they trade at the retail they only made say 500 which for breitling you know there still is a, a tremendous demand the, the brand's been around forever and does have market or uh, you know 
recognition within the market. So there's always going to be some demand for these for these watches. But for the most part, going pre-owned or gray market would be your best bet. Um, models to look at, number one is Navitimer. So if you like a big, um, you know, a larger um, chronograph watch, then the Navitimer would be the way to go. That's that's their most iconic model. It's their strongest trading model across the board. You're pretty safe in those watches. You can look at the price points compared to their MSRPs, and you can see that there's not a, a tremendous difference for most of those models. You can find them all well below 10,000. There's a million different versions of the watch too. So if you want a busier dial, if you want with you know uh, a tachometer scale that's prominent and a bunch of sub dials, then you can go that route. But they also do make some models that are a little bit more subdued. Um, besides that, Avengers are cool too. Um, I've owned a few Avengers. I don't think I own one now, but a great chronograph model Avengers. Um, you know, the the Aerospace is a great watch too. Uh, Aerospace is a is going to be a, the, a quartz model. Um, they make a, mo a bunch of different quartz models. So Brightland across the board. And oh, in terms of price points too, right? So we talked about Rolex. Everything I talked about Rolex from Rolex was basically ten to twenty thousand. Omega. Um, you're looking at between like three and eight thousand, or three and ten thousand for for all the models that I uh, that I mentioned. And now in the Breitling, I would say you're going to be spending between say uh, two and seven thousand dollars is a safe range to spend on uh, most of these models. They also make uh, the Chronomat, which is uh, they're going to be their kind of their uh, non-Navitimer. Keystone um, chronograph and the Super Oceans, if you want a diver. Though all their watches, for the most part, though, uh, besides the Navitimer, should be able to be worn in the water. Um, very robust watches. Uh, service intervals are going to be three to five years on that on those watches. But uh, if you buy them at market price, they should be tradable. And the Breitling is going to be kind of watches on the larger size, right? They have a new top time, which is really nice too, that I'd recommend. All right, moving on. Um, so let's get into a brand that I'm definitely biased towards, um, but I'm very realistic about it, and that's Panerai. So buying a Panerai as your first watch is not a bad idea. That's what I did. Um, I probably didn't buy the best Panerai to buy at that point, but I didn't spend much money on it, and the watch is worth what I paid. Uh, so it stand the test of time. I bought that watch 2012 or 2013. That would be a Panerai uh, Radiomere um, it's the I'm blanking on the on the the model number now. Wow, that's crazy. It's uh, I haven't worn the watch in a while. It's actually out of service right now. Um, but it's a it's a stainless steel radiator three day movement uh, with the logo the OP logo on the dial. Very basic watch. So if you like a larger watch but you don't like anything busy on the dial, you like something a little bit more minimalist. Panerai is the way to go. You're going to be spending between five and ten thousand. On a Panerai, I definitely would not spend more than ten thousand, especially on your first Panerai. But really, there are very few Panerais I'd spend more than ten thousand on in general. And I and I'd say I'd almost unequivocally not spend more than say twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars on any Panerai, just based on the on the trading value of those watches. Um, but between five and ten thousand, you can get a tremendous Panerai, a great watch, everyday wear. You can get um, a, uh, a Luminor case, which is going to be the iconic case with the big crown guard and the thick lugs and it's going to be a little bit more of a big uh, a larger watch but if you get the right model it's not going to feel that big on the wrist so um, i always recommend manual wind panerize they have eight day movements um, in almost every case so it's not something you have to wind every day um, you know my essentially my favorite watch in my collection is a panerai luminor it's a it's an eight day um Manual wind movement with a GMT and a date and a power reserve on the watch. It's called a Panerai 233. I definitely recommend that. You can find it for under $10,000. Um, a little complicated for your first watch, though. If you want something that's a little bit more um, basic, then there's a million different, different references you can look for. A 005, a 000, a um, 104 if you want a date wheel, um, a, an 88 if you want a GMT, a PAM 88. And all their reference numbers are going to be basically be um, three digits or four digits. So when I say PAM 88, it's really a 088. Um, and then the newer models now have four digits. And uh, the new models are really nice too because they slimmed out their case backs to make them a little bit more wearable as well. I think that they 
they paid attention to the feedback from the market in general, and they made their watches much more wearable. So, but if you want something that has a three-digit um, reference, but you don't want something that's going to be big and bulky on your wrist, then look for a manual wind movement watch. And again, you can find these watches in stainless steel and titanium. You could find them in ceramic. Um, you know, there are and there there are hundreds of references that have all slightly different dials or slightly different cases or what, whatever it may be well under 10,000. And those are watches you absolutely buy at market price. Um, be very careful spending full MSRP on a Panerai. There are very few models in which um, spending that kind of money is uh, you are paying what the watch is worth. Market price is, is, and there are plenty of Panerai's that trade. So, um, you know, find uh, buying a Panerai say for 5,000 and then, having it for a few years and selling it say to a dealer who's going to resell it for 35 to four. So it costs you a thousand dollars to watch, wear the watch for say four or five years. It's not a bad deal. That's, that's, that's a great way to go, but there's enough trading volume on, on eBay, on Chrono 24 and on the forums, which I'll discuss um, those as well, a little bit more in depth as places to buy watches. Um, you can sell those direct to other collectors and basically get your money back. Um, you know, they have a pretty flat and strong uh, trading base for watches, especially around that $5,000 mark. So Panerai is a great place to look, especially if you want something that it's robust, but a little bit different, right? A little bit more masculine, a little bit more tough and rugged, I guess you want to say, though, that's not the reason why I like the watches. I like the watches for their history, which is awesome. I've made a YouTube video about the history of Panerai, um, dates back to World War II. They're the only brand to ever officially share cases and movements with Rolex. Rolex is very guarded when it comes to their manufacturing. Panerai somehow convinced them to, during in wartime, um, uh, allow them to buy some some cases and, and make their, their diving watches out of those. So Panerai is a good brand also, remember, between five and 10,000. Another brand to look at um, would be IWC. IWC is traditionally, uh, it's uh, the international watch company. Uh, based out of Switzerland, also owned by the same company who owns Panerai, which is the Richemont Group. Um, they're again five to ten thousand dollars, kind of in the same boat, but these are going to be less dive watches, which are what you're going to find from Panerai, and more aviator-inspired watches. So you're looking at big pilots, pilots chronos, GSTs, Aqua timers. If you like diving watches from them, but again, they still are somewhat aviation inspired, you know, chronographs and whatnot, um, ingenieurs, which they've made, they try to reinvent that line a bunch of different times. But if you like that, if you like more of an angular look and a, and a watch, as opposed to a, uh, like a, a round case, the ingenieur, uh, is a good place to look. And these are all watches again, buy them at market price. Um, these are watches that tend to take a bit of a hit when you're buying them through retail at, uh, at full MSRP. So either ask for a discount from the dealer or look market price, uh, gray market or pre-owned. Um, so a few other brands that I'd like to kind of round out the brand list on, on, and I know that this was the biggest chunk of, or the longest rant of this episode will be basically on the, what watches you should buy. Cause I think this is the most important thing, you know, where to look, what brands are, are, are worth it. Um, Tudor, Tudor is also a great brand to start with. Um, it's, it's owned by Rolex. Build quality is slightly below Rolex, but they have a great history, um, World War II and whatnot. Uh, great dive watches. You're going to be looking at Black Bays and Pelagos. They're all going to be well below um, that the $10,000 mark, and a lot of them are going to be well below that $5,000 mark. Highly tradable, very comfortable on the wrist. Um, classic look. And uh, definitely great watches, and 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 there's a lot of demand around the brand. So if you buy one, and you know you fall out of love love with it, even within a few months, you should be able to, if you bought it at market price, get your money back pretty quickly because they're heavily traded on on the marketplaces like um, you know the customer to customer marketplaces places like Chrono Twenty Four and eBay and, and the forums. And the last brand I would oh no I have two more brands here so. Um, I'll stick with, okay, so we'll, we'll talk about Oris and then we'll end with Grand Seiko. So Oris uh, is a really cool brand, independent manufacturer. Um, I I want to say like the second or third watch I ever bought was an Oris Aquas 43. Um, tremendous value for dollars, right? 
you're going to be spending between two and five thousand dollars, and in some cases less than two thousand dollars. On an Oris, you're going to get a uh, a well built, functional dive watch for the most part. I mean, they do have some dressier models, but we are talking about sport watches right now. So um, you're going to get a functional, robust, and very handsome looking watch for a tremendously low price point. Um, the other thing that I love about Oris is that the company itself is fantastic, right? So if you have an issue with your watch, you can contact the local service center in America. A lot of times the watchmaker will answer the phone. It's a small team. and But they make just beautiful watches, a lot of fun. And you can buy an Oris for two or $3,000 and a guy wearing a $50,000 paddock will recognize that watch and give you a compliment about it because everybody loves Oris. They, they just have a great reputation within the month. Within the um, within the collector community, and uh, yeah, they're very honest. It seems like right, they're not trying to do things that that are outside their wheelhouse. They and, and they're not overpricing their watches for the most part. So Oris is a great place to look. And then the last one I would talk about, uh, which some people might disagree with me, but especially nowadays, Grand Seiko is, I mean, tremendous watch brand. Right, they make a million different watches. So everything I spoke about so far were Swiss owned or Swiss manufactured watches, Grand Seiko is, uh, is a Japanese company, right? And, um, you know, for a long time, you know, Grand Seiko was looked at as, as kind of a joke. Um, you know, Seiko has been around for a long time, uh, you know, lower end price points, two, three, four, five hundred $500 watches. Grand Seiko is going to be in that, you know, three to $10,000, three to $7,000 price point but you're going to get tremendous build quality and finishing on the cases and bracelets. Um, you're going to get tremendous engineering and quality control from the brand. And there are a mi million different references you can go for. I would say if you're going to start off with Grand Seiko, if you like the, if you like the look of the watch, start off with like a snowflake. It's, um, I, I own one at SBGA 211 and, um, it is a, it's a tremendous watch. Mine's in full titanium feels great on the wrist, but they also make, Plenty of different other watches. They make um, GMTs. They make uh, um, they make you know uh, divers watches and uh, a million different dial combinations. If you if you like watch dials, uh, artisan dials, Grand Seiko is a great place to look because they make a million different handmade and or textured dials. Um, I would look at the Heritage or the Sport lines or the two lines. I would look at specifically, especially in this price range. And if you're looking for something that's a little bit more sporty to start off with. And again, you're going to be spending between say three and $7,000 should get you a really great Grand Seiko. And because especially in the last like five years, they've come to be more prominent and more respected in the market. They are highly tradable. In the past, you buy a Grand Seiko. And if you paid anywhere near list, you lose half your money just right off the bat. Nowadays, that's not the case. And a lot of their models trade at or above retail, um, especially some of their like uh, Japanese only um, releases and, and you, you can get some tremendous watches. So, so yeah, that's, those are the, the brands I would look at. Um, so again, we have Rolex, Omega, Breitling, Panerai, IWC, Oris, Tudor, and Grand, excuse me, Grand Seiko. The other thing I want to, um, the only, the other thing I want to mention is that some watch brands, when you buy into them, you're also buying into a community. Right. So like IWC doesn't truly have like a community. I mean, there's always going to be some enthusiasts for every brand, but um, like Rolex, for example, I guess you call Rolex a community because I mean, it's the most widely traded and widely sold watch uh, luxury watch out there. There is a community, right? But there's, it's really model specific. Um, Omega has somewhat of a community. Panerai big time has a community, maybe not as robust as it used to be. Um, but there are, you know, there's a, a, a nice group of enthusiasts who love Panerai, love talking about Panerai. There's great websites, Panerai Source, Panaristi.com, all based on the on the brand. Um, I'd say Grand Seiko is another one of those brands where you kind of buy into a community, right? Because there are guys who are chasing specific ones. They want to talk about the watches, the builds, the technology that goes into. So if you're if you're looking to get into a watch, not only a watch brand, but also buy into a community, if that's your thing, if you like to talk about um, you know, your hobbies with others, then uh, these are the brands to look at, you know, Panerai, Grand Seiko, Rolex, even Omega. Um, not so much with Breitling for the most part, IWC. I mean, at this point with the internet, you're going to find a community or some small group to talk to you about your watches. But if you're looking for like a, like a serious community, those are the brands. 
Um, and I'll touch just uh, briefly on kind of dress watches or like more in-betweener watches, not, not sport watches, how I just kind of uh, discussed or what I just discussed here. So um, dress watches, you want to look at brands like Nomos, N-O-M-O-S, um, Nomos Glass Shoot. It's a small independent brand out of Germany. They make um, kind of art deco uh, and uh, very minimalist watches that I would certainly consider more dress watches. Uh, you can, some of them are going to have, uh, you know, water resistancy that'll allow you to take it in the water and whatnot. But for the most part, they're going to be a little bit less, less robust, but really cool watches and very low price points for an independent brand that you're going to be spending between two and $5,000. You can pick up my favorite model or model line would be the club model. Um, they also have a Tetra, which is going to be a square tangente, which is going to have slightly different lugs than the club. Um, a little bit of a thinner watch. Um, Cartier is also a brand that I would look at. Uh, you can get a Santos, a uh, Calibre, a Pasha, or a Tank. Um, you're going to be spending between three and $10,000. And especially nowadays, you're going to get like a well-respected, highly tradable watch. And uh, and those are watches you want to buy. No most you can buy at or around their retail. They trade pretty strong because they don't make so many watches. Cartier, for the most part, you want to be careful buying um, the new Santos uh, is a watch that trades at or, at or above its retail, but most of the other models are going to be well below. So you want to look, um, you know, outside of an authorized dealer for, for most of the models through Cartier. Um, Grand Seiko does make some dress watches to the Elegant models or the Elegance models, which are uh, not personally my favorite, but they are highly tradable and ones to look at. Um, and uh, IWC does make some sport watches, or sorry, some dress watches that I would recommend, the Portofino and the Portugueseers are the ones to look at if you're looking for something, if you want to buy your first watch and you want it to be a dress watch. Though um, the reason why the sport watches took up so much of my time in terms of discussing this is because those are the watches that are much more highly tradable. Most people are looking, when they're getting into watches, they're looking at sport watches. All right, so uh, we, we did an overview of which watches to look at, what brands have merit, um, and ones I would buy as my first watch. Um, next, let's talk about Let's talk about how to buy, right? So you're going to see when you're searching online specifically or you're talking to people, you're going to hear words throughout like new watch or gray market or pre-owned or used. And, you know, it's it might seem obvious to what those mean, but realistically, what uh, buyers in the market use, how they use those terms and how people within the industry use those terms are, are a bit different. So let's clarify that before we get into kind of where to buy. So a new watch um, if we're if if we're being totally honest, a new watch is a brand, is a watch that came from an authorized dealer, which means it was say manufactured in Switzerland, flown over to the U.S. through distribution, and now it's with an authorized dealer. It's never been sold through retail, right? That would be a new watch. So um, that that doesn't mean that there aren't watches that you can buy through other sources that look new, that are a new condition, but truly a new status watch. So when you say, "Hey, is that watch new?" and you're talking to a guy on eBay, the answer is no. I mean, uh, there are very few brands that can sell, that are allowed to sell new watches on places like eBay, Chrono24, and all the brands that I discussed earlier, none of those brands will sell their watches new through um, through eBay or Chrono24 or any really online other than their specific website. So new means authorized dealer or boutique direct from the brand or someone who has an actual contract with the brand. That's that's new. Um, but you can certainly buy a watch that's in new condition that looks the same as that watch for all intents and purposes is the same as that watch, but maybe has a different price point either above or below the MSRP. And that would be, um, you, you're going to buy them either pre-owned or I guess certified pre-owned is a good way to, to look at that or, or call that um, or gray market. So what is a gray market? Um, gray market traditionally, but now it's kind of expanded. Traditionally, gray market meant you were um, guys would buy, uh, so the brands would overproduce and say, for example, they make 100,000 uh, uh, pieces of, of a certain model. They sell 25,000 of those through retail at some sort of discount. Um, 50,000 of those go, or sorry, through their boutiques. Um, 50,000 of those go to authorized dealers, so through their distribution channels all over the world. And then say the last 25,000, they can't 
They can't get any of their authorized dealers to take them. They can't sell them through the boutique. So what they would do is they would sell them essentially backdoor to uh, gray market dealers. So guys, they, maybe they would sell them without warranty cards um, or they would sell them um, at, uh, you know, to these dealers with activated warranty cards or without a warranty card, but at deep, deep discounts. So if the retail is 10,000, they would sell them in large quantities. So maybe they would sell a thousand of these watches at a time to a certain buyer for uh, $2,500 each, right? So then that, that dealer would then turn around, post them on his website for say $5,000. So 50% off of the original MSRP um, on their website and calling it new, okay? Is it new? Well, no, we already know what new means. Is it new condition? Absolutely. Um, is it a watch that will be, uh, that you can have a factory warranty on? It's hit or miss. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, is it a watch that's ever been worn? You don't know. Um, has it ever been opened? You don't know because there's not there there's not a contract to be uh, enforced on making sure that these guys are doing what the brand wants them to do with these watches because essentially they're being sold backdoor. Not saying these are bad watches. I bought many watches uh, gray market, but in the gray market, you know, just everything's it's not black or white, right? So. Um, you need to just be careful and find out who you're dealing with when it comes to that. So when you're buying a, a, a gray market watch, um, rule of thumb is buy the seller, not the watch, because you know the, the watch should be the same as any watch that you buy walking into a boutique. But um, you know what happens when that watch needs service, or if you find out that something's been swapped or something along those lines. So gray market means that it was not through an official distribution channel from the brand, but it may still be new. Um, and certified pre-owned. So certified pre-owned um, is essentially kind of what Watchbox does. Uh, you know, we we're a larger operation. We can buy, refurbish, or we can uh, we're we're large enough to support sending the bulk of our watches back for factory service. Um, so you're going to get a watch that's never going to be sold as is. It's going to be sold with a warranty um, from a company that's going to be around for you know however long. So there's. Uh, Watchbox, I would say, is probably the largest. Um, I'm biased because I'm an employee and a and a fan of the of the company. I would say we're the best ones doing it, but they're certainly not the only. There's Crown and Caliber. There's Watchfinder. Uh, there's you know European Watch, a smaller watch company. I mean, there are plenty of um, of other you know dealers who sell or professional pre-owned sellers or certified pre-owned sellers, and you can a lot of times get a watch at a good market price, um, a pre-owned price, but it's going to look brand new. The watch is going to be refurbished by a factory tech or at the factory itself with a, you know, a, a two plus year warranty. Um, so really nothing to worry about. And that's kind of how I prefer to buy my watches is that way. Um, and then at, at, I guess the last way to buy a watch would be a used watch. Um, used watch is going to be a watch that's kind of being sold as is. Uh, you're going to find those on eBay from say private sellers or very small time dealers. So guys who are hobbyist traders or, you know, they call, we used to call them faux dealers. Um, but realistically it's just, you know, hobbyist dealers. So guys who do it on the side, either to make a buck or just to rotate their collection, you can buy those, uh, buy used watches on eBay, Chrono 24, um, uh, on, on the forums as well. So you have, you know, there's uh, the Rolex forum, Reddit, Watch you seek time zone. These are all places to buy, you know, used watches. And a lot of times you're buying them from collectors who took good care of them. They might have sent them back for factory warranty as well, but you're not going to have, usually not going to have a return policy. You're usually going to have to vet that buyer individually before you, um, before you transact. Um, you might have to, you're most likely going to have to pay the guy before you get the watch with, uh, little assurances that they're actually going to send it other than, you know, the, the, um, you know, say the form rules or the, uh, or the, um, or the, the vetting process that you put them through. So you're kind of on your own, but a lot of times you're going to get a better price. You're going to save some, a few bucks. Um, I will say as the market has become more liquid, margins have shrunk across the board. So, you know, the turn times for watches, there's less risk in buying even more esoteric watches. So there used to be a big difference between buying a watch, say, used from a private seller on the Rolex forum 
in it or buying it from a guy like from a company like Watchbox. There used to be a big enough difference. It might be a thousand, two thousand dollar difference. Nowadays, it might only be a few hundred dollars because the volume of trading is so high, the margins are squeezed, and you know you don't have to build in margin in order to make sure that you're not going to lose money on that watch. Uh, you know, we know essentially what it's going to trade out, trade at as the volume, the trading volume gets higher. Um, but it's still a good way to go. It's a good way to, you know, buying on a forum is a lot more work. So the other thing you have to calculate is what your time is worth. Um, and, uh, you know, how proficient are you on the internet? If you've been on the internet since you were a little kid like me, then, you know, buying on a forum is not a bad way to go. Um, eBay and Corona 24 are, you know, platforms that allow you to buy from a private, um, a private seller and still have some of the safeguards. So eBay recently started a program where any watch that's listed over $2,000, even if you pay less than that too, um, it'll go to an authentication or through an authentication process. So it goes offsite, goes to Ohio somewhere and the watch is examined. It's compared to the listing and then it's repackaged with an eBay warranty card, which is kind of cool. And basically certify that, hey, this watch is everything it's supposed to be. Um, I have seen scenarios where even though it went through this process, like the listing said it was an automatic watch, but the watch was manual wind um, and they, they missed that. So I've seen things like that. But otherwise, it, it does create a nice uh, sense of of comfort for uh, first time buyers to go through, uh, you know, to buy something from a private seller, maybe save a few dollars and still have kind of that. Um, uh, you know, peace of mind. Chrono 24 is essentially like an eBay, but only for watches specifically. So they use escrow services. They do charge a fee. So um, realistically, you don't really save too much money for the most part, unless you're, unless you find some, you know, that one private seller who's looking to just, you know, get rid of the watch for X dollars, you know, but in terms of the market price, there's not going to be a huge difference. But Chrono 24 is a good place to look. I mean, a lot of dealers, including Watchbox and Watchfinder, and I think Chrono Caliber are on uh, uh, Chrono 24. It's a good place to start looking to kind of uh, get an idea of what the price point should be, how much you should spend on, on a certain watch, what the market price should be, because there's a ton of listings. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, so we have new gray market certified pre-owned and used, and I kind of blended those the the how to buy, and that's those are you know each way to buy new gray market certified pre-owned and used. And I blended that with where to buy, which is you know eBay or Chrono24, the forums, independent dealers, and ADs. So let's talk more about independent dealers. So um, when we talk about independent dealers, which might be called gray market dealers or resellers, um, these are going to be the watch boxes, the crown and calibers, the watch finders, the luxury bazaars uh, of the world. So these are uh, professional businesses registered they have, you know, um, they're going to have kind of a, a somewhat of a large presence, either online or physical presence. They're going to have, sh they should have a large inventory. So like a company like us has, you know, four or five, 6,000 watches in inventory. Um, but, you know, there are many of them that have two, three, four, 500 watches in inventory. And if they have the one you like and they offer, you know, the warranty, which you're going to get with it, with most independent sellers, professional independent sellers, um, you're going to get a warranty. You're, you're not going to buy a watch kind of as is. And, uh, you know, you want to look at the reviews online. Very important. Um, try to find, you know, especially nowadays, it's hard to, if you want to buy a watch, it's hard not to find somebody who's done business with one of these guys that you might know on social media or something. Um, and then reach out to them. So one of the benefits you get with dealing with either an authorized dealer or independent dealer, independent seller is going to be a, uh, you're, you should be able to get in touch with somebody like me, right? So uh, a watch, a client advisor, who's going to help give you, you know, guide you, give you some insight into the watch, how the process works and make you feel comfortable about this and also give you advice, right? Like that's a big thing for me. Um, a lot of my first time customers, I always want to ask them, you know, why are you buying a watch? And, you know, have you ever bought a premium watch? Because if the, if the answer is, I don't know, and I don't know why I'm buying this watch and I've never bought a watch online. I want to make sure that we're making the right decision. So just because you make me a good offer on the watch doesn't mean I want to sell you that watch. I want to make sure you're making the right decision because for, for me specifically and a lot of uh, companies like, like mine, uh, like Watchbox, you know, repeat business is, is a driving factor here. Um, and it's, it's going to lower our costs. So there's an incentive to have repeat business. 
but uh, and it's also going to make you know my job specifically easier. So I have an incentive to do what's right for my customer. Um, you know, maybe not every not every company works that way, but most companies with a large sales team who work one on one with their customers, you know, our incentives are aligned. Right? It's not just to sell one watch and you know move on. It's to um, uh, to sell a watch and hopefully cultivate a, a relationship and get you know referrals. And uh, you know, build friendship possibly, which I have with a lot of my customers. But realistically, if we're just looking at it from like a critical view, uh, finding a company like this and building a relationship with a salesperson um, should be good. Also, independent sellers for the uh, for the most part, they're going to be buying watches as well as selling. So if I sell you a watch and I charge you way too much, way over over market price for that watch, well, then you could turn around, turn around, and ask me to sell it back, and that relationship is ruined immediately. When I tell you, oh yeah, you spent twenty five thousand, I'm going to offer you ten back for it. So there's an incentive, or there should be an incentive, with an independent seller who's buying and selling watches to give you a fair deal, right? Obviously, there's going to be profit there. In order to you know to run a business, there has to be profit. Anybody who's buying these watches certainly is in some sort of business and is making some sort of profit, right? Otherwise, you couldn't afford these things. So we should all understand that. But there should be a uh, a level of honesty that is inherent in this because you could call me the next day and want to sell me a watch too. So um, that's one of the reasons why I like, I personally do buy from some of the other companies I buy from Watchbox, but as well as some of our competitors. And I like building a relationship because I like having somebody that I can go to who's going to be held accountable for maybe a sale or whatnot. Right. And then authorized dealers are going to be a, um, uh, another option. And these are going to be dealers or boutiques, uh, you know, authorized dealers and boutiques are going to be uh, people who have a direct line to the brand. They're going to be selling their watches based on an MSRP. So either MSRP or a discount of, um, and uh, relationship matters when you're buying from these guys, if you want a watch that's in super high demand. So Rolex, AP, Paddock, um, you know, relationship matters. And when that, when it comes to that, it's really just how much money you spent realistically when we talk about relationship. It's unfortunate these days with the demand so high. Um, but uh, they, you have to be careful when talking to boutique staff because it's happened to me personally when they don't know who I am. And I ask them, you know, is a watch really worth what, you know, what they're trying to sell it for? And they say, oh yeah, this watch is going to go up in value. And I'm looking at, you know, a, an Omega or a, uh, yeah, an Omega Planet Ocean uh, that, you know, is being offered a market price at, you know, 30 or 40% less than their asking price. And they're telling me that the watch is going to go up in value because they have no incentive to be honest with me there. They just want to make the sale because they're not going to buy that watch back for me. Um, doesn't mean it's not a good way to go. If you want to be the first owner of that watch and you value that, it's a good way to go. If there are watches from the brand that, that certainly are going to be uh, tougher to get at or uh, below the retail price in the market, then that's a good reason to go through an AD. Um, and, you know, there are other perks too. You know, if you buy a, uh, enough watches from a brand, you can, you know, have contact with, say, CEOs, executives of the brands, watchmakers, have trips um, to the factory in Switzerland or I guess in Japan if you're buying Grand Seiko. So there definitely are benefits from buying through boutiques and ADs, but um, price points tend to be a little bit tougher there because you should be paying some sort of premium for the most part, except for. <laughs> Rolex, AP, and Paddock, where a lot of times you're paying uh, below that. But again, nothing's free, right? So you're going to be paying for it one way or another. Either you're going to be buying, uh, you know, watches that aren't as valuable, or you're going to have to spend a lot of money in order to get the watches that are the most valuable. Um, but yeah, so hopefully this was helpful, guys. This is uh, my beginner's guide to buying watches. Um, and uh, I want to do this. Is a, I don't know if I mentioned it initially, but I want to make this a three-part series. So I'm going to do, I guess, like an intermediate um, guide to buying watches. So you know, after you buy your first one, two, or three watches, and you're you're more comfortable, um, I want to talk about what watches to look at there. Um, obviously, it's going to be more about the watches and less about where to buy and how to buy because at that point you've already figured it out. And then the last episode that I'll do in this series will be an advanced. Uh, guide to buying watches, and that's going to be you know uh, high horology watches, very expensive watches, and uh, brands to look at uh, and follow. That a lot of times not always very expensive, but 
Um, ones that are a little bit more esoteric, maybe tougher to trade, but um, definitely cool watches to own and experience. So thank you for uh, for sticking with me for the full hour. If you're listening to this now, follow me on Instagram at Mr. Thanos. If you have any critiques or questions about this episode, if you think I'm totally wrong about this stuff, you can catch me on Instagram at M-R-T-H-A-N-O-S, M-R Thanos, uh, Mr. Thanos, or by email at J Thanos. So my first initial last name at thewatchbox.com, jthanos at thewatchbox.com. Um, follow our, our YouTube channel, the Watchbox Studios and Watchbox Reviews. You can watch my buddy Tim, Mike Manjos, all those guys on that channel. Follow us on Instagram at Watchbox. And uh, until next time, adios. Mm-hmm.